Welcome to Mummy and Daddy, the podcast where we discuss horror movies featuring children. Because parenting can be scary. And kids are definitely creepy. <laughs> Yow! Hello! Hi, how are you doing? Oh, great. Um, Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Black Friday. Happy Black Friday. We are recording this on Black Friday, and it's going to come out a little while later, but that's where we're at, and that's what we're going to be talking about. That's right. It's uh, it's a special day for us, actually. It is. For many reasons. Yeah. Black Friday is a special day for us, mm-hmm. and it's also a special day for our guest. Yes. We have our very first guest on Mummy and Daddy, and... If anybody is a betting person out there, you could probably guess who it is. She is our VIP, P. Very important person at the podcast. Very important person at the podcast, a VIPAP. VIPP. She is probably our biggest supporter over at Mummy and Diddy and happens to be my sister. Aunt Monica. (laughs) Aunt Monica, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. A nice compliment. We're so excited to have you. It really is a treat. It is. And on Black Friday, no less, I was mentioning that it's an important day for us. For Carol and I, it is our dateiversary. It's the first day we ever went on a date a million years ago. And um, for you, Aunt Monica... I'm struggling to not call you Aunt Monica, but you're not. You're Aunt Monica. It's very true. Yes. Um... You are a, an avid Black Friday goer. So what did you do this year? Well, just like with everything else in 2020, we took it virtual. And yeah. me and the same girls that I have been going Black Friday shopping since 1999. Hey, oh, just in diapers yourself at that point. Just little babies. We decided to be as safe as possible, and we got on Zoom, and we internet shopped. Um, It was a little bit less exciting than uh, (laughs) going to the stores, but to be honest, over the years, Black Friday has changed because we've never bought into the go shopping on Thanksgiving trend. Oh yeah, no, that's so so awful on so many levels. Yeah, it's it's rude. Oh, it's rude. And we're all moms now. Well, mom age or um, have responsibilities <laughs> on Thanksgiving that are way more important than yeah. you know standing in line to get a TV that'll probably be the same price the next day or will break (laughs) so totally it is kind of funny because over the years we used to get a lot of like electronics and now it's a lot of kid stuff right yeah of course of course did you get any good deals this year actually i did get a deal um (laughs) i don't i usually 
it's the truth. I've never gone to Walmart or Target for their electronics because right. it's such a mad. It's insane. It's usually I'm if I go to Target, I buy like a tablecloth. Um, mm-hmm. But this year, I snagged an Apple Watch because I was oh. able to virtually queue up. Nice. Yeah, oh, they did great that deal. whole thing. They did it as like a like the retailers had some sort of virtual lineup queue system. Very good. Wow. Congratulations on that. Wow. Thanks. And that is- like all true Black Friday purchases, it's uh, usually for me more than anyone else. So Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who's ever getting... Because the whole thing is you're kind of going in there rolling the dice. You, you Maybe there's one thing you're like, oh, if I could get this for my kid, I could get it for half price. So I will try. But if you fail to do that, everything else is definitely for you it's not like there's just yeah. no way and it was going there we're like i'm getting all my black friday shopping done today or all my christmas shopping done today because they're not going to have all the stuff you want yeah either. and you can't just be looking you got to have a list you got to be on a mission that's, yeah i mean at least that's how it felt the one year i went with you and your girlfriends who've i who i've also known for a bazillion years and um it was so fun i'm sad that it like like hasn't that it's, you know, you couldn't do it exactly the same way this year, but that it's changed because it was so, so much fun. I just remember ending the day around 10 a.m. at Chili's and it was it was perfect. It was so fun. We started the day at like 3 a.m. at Krispy Kreme to charge up and then Did Chili's was... have like Black Friday deals on Southwestern egg rolls or? You know, probably not, but... It was. It's right next to the Christiana Mall. So, or it was. It's, I don't know if it's not anymore. Oh, how does that even happen? How does a Chili's go out of business? Uh, Maybe for a different podcast, but yeah, it's a green uh, turtle now. Oh, a green. What's a green turtle? There. It's an expression like, for restaurants that go out of. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah. They're in in the Baltimore, Maryland area. Oh. You might remember one from Ocean City. There, it's oh. it's just a bar. It's a bar and grill situation. Okay. So, the last time I went to a, a bar, the last time that Josh and I went to a bar with Monica in Delaware, we ended up with Boo about nine months later. So, we have a great time with uh, Monica. I, I barely remember the night. Sorry, Josh, um, but it was a it was a good time. <laughs> I am always a good time. Oh my gosh. Out so, there making nephews. So uh we picked this movie. Oh, hold on a oh, second. Before we even talk about the movie we picked, we need to talk about why we picked Aunt Monica as a guest. Because yeah. there is a reason besides the fact that she's your sister and that we do celebrate nepotism here at Mummy and Daddy. We're all about we're literally all about it. We are. And yeah, let's let's talk about why you are the VIPP. Yeah. Monica, what is your background? Who are you? So I love when people ask me what my what my job is because it's one of those jobs that you can't really say uh, very quickly. But mm. um, I work in the early childhood field with kids ages birth to school age. And I provide on-site technical assistance to early childhood providers and professional development. I have mm. been working in the field 
doing that for, I think, uh, 20 years now. Oh my <laughs> Believe God. it or wow. not. I know that no. math was, that actually, that math was a, a little <laughs> scary for me, but um, I work with teachers to work with children and I concentrate on social emotional curricula and challenging behaviors. Yeah. So I was very excited to hear my little sister and my favorite brother-in-law were planning to do a podcast involving kids because that uh, is my passion and I really love horror movies. Yeah, <laughs> Always have. Honestly. Honestly, we really should just make this a, a trio because Monica has always, every time we um, do a movie, she will call or text me. Um, sometimes I check in with her beforehand, but a lot of times after she's listened to it and say, here's all these resources you should know about, like, this was great that you said, or this is actually a huge a di- mistake. Yeah, a different <laughs> thing. And so it's been it's been so, so good to have your um expertise and like yeah it's a fun i feel like that's why we do the podcast i feel like such a fun lens to to think about all totally. these like i wish i had your expertise i know personally yeah we're just so gonna hand can... it over to you actually now yeah um, this is so the... you're the host now <laughs> you're the host and um we'll go listen also thank you for telling uh us and our audience about your job in that way because now it will help me when I try to explain what you do for a job. It's one of those jobs that, yeah, it's it's really not um, like a title that you can say with any simplicity. So right. it's very helpful to have, you know, like those... those um, a recording pe- you could play back exactly. to people anytime they ask. You just keep it yeah. queued up. Or like a periodic. There's so many people in our lives, I feel like, that I'm like, well, what do they do for a living? It's like, well, I think I they they do this, you know, or, you know, our family and, members who are in like the medical field or like psychology. It's just very nuanced. And in fact, um, my role or my position is actually I've been in the field long enough for it to kind of change names a couple of times. Mm-hmm. So right mm-hmm. now I would refer to what I am doing as teacher coaching. Oh, okay, yeah. So the coach is a good description because I will come into a classroom and teachers will let me know what they're struggling with. And then we follow some pretty uniform steps to try and help the teachers brainstorm and problem solve themselves. It's a very strengths-based approach because Mm -hmm. anybody who's chosen to work with children needs to have a lot of skills, patience, love, the kind of things that there's a lot of internal characteristics that teachers need to have. But at the same time, there is some knowledge and expertise in the field that I think I provide as a coach. Right. And it's not something that is just ingrained, you know, and it does change with the research. I think about it all the time with the teachers at our school and like mm-hmm. if if they have that kind of coaching, because sometimes it 
it feels like they definitely the, don't. They don't. But yeah. the patience and the love is so strong there that it's that it's okay most of the time, you know, like um but it's really I feel very thankful. Um very thankful in this wow, time of gratefulness. Yeah, yeah I'm here. so thankful that you are my sister and that you wanted to come on the podcast because it's not just that that's what you do for a job. It's like you said, it is your passion and you are just so like you're so driven and you are so knowledgeable. It's crazy. Um, I'm just always in awe of you and I love you so much. And I'm so glad you're here to talk about this movie with us. And you helped pick this movie. You gave us a, a couple movies we could do, but it's so, so fitting that That's we right. did. Oh, I have Monica. Actually, I have a recording of Monica asking to watch this movie. Oh. Do you remember this when she called oh, yeah. us and That's just right. said? She breathes the pressure. <laughs> and it's just like kicked in the door on a Zoom call. It was very weird. It's like kicked open a door and said that. Yes, yes, yes. Nineteen eighty four. You know my husband. You know I own that song. We listen to it every night at our Euro <laughs> techno parties. Yes. <laughs> Your husband Dieter. Yeah, Uncle Dieter. We know him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um we yes, we nineteen eighty four's uh Firestarter. Yeah, Dino De Laurentiis production. I was so jazzed right from the Universal logo oh, on yeah. this one launching. the The music is by Tangerine Dream. Mm. Uh, you've got it said. Well, I kept reading it as like, oh, sweet. It does the cast and order of appearance, and it said David Keith, which I read as Keith David mm. from like They Live and right. He's the, voice of gargoyles and he's in uh, a million things so right. i someone who i've once said has maybe had the best movie career of anybody but is is david keith yeah. just like a dorky white guy who they definitely thought was going to be kurt russell oh yeah definitely isn't uh of course no. drew barrymore heather locklear great cast great based on a stephen George king C. novel Scott? oh yeah George C. Scott. that later um yeah, Martin Sheen, the Martin whole gang. Martin Sheen showing up. Oh my gosh! And Mama Mia. And so, so many, so many reasons why this is uh, the stars aligned on this movie. But I'm so glad that we are doing a Stephen King adaptation with my sister Monica because Monica's a big fan, as am I. Um, she's definitely a bigger fan. But we went to Stephen King's house when we were kids. We did up in Bangor, Maine. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'll never forget it. You put a letter in the mailbox, a fan letter, I believe. I did. I, well, so we, there wasn't a mailbox at his house to stick it in. Probably because of, oh, I don't know, safety reasons. (laughs) You know, I would be so happy if he listened to this podcast, I would be so excited. But we settled what we comprom- what we figured out to do was we mailed it from the Bangor, Maine post right. office so that it would be a local letter and mm. hopefully get to his house with like his mortgage bills and Right. Um Love that. I love that you think Stephen King has a mortgage. Um I yeah. love that a twelve year old you <laughs> Was ready to like jam that letter into wherever you possibly could to get him to read it. Yeah. I don't have, I, okay. I don't have a great memory. I often call Monica to tell me 
what happened in my life. But I do remember that pink mansion with the black gate with the bats. Yes. And that was real. That happened. Couldn't tell you when this was in our childhood, but it happened. It's spite. I think it was spiders. No, they're bats. They're, they're bats. Black. Oh, Josh yeah, has been there, I've too. Been there too. My dad's from down the street, pretty much. He's from <laughs> right. half an hour away. It was from there. Such an amazing experience for me. I did get a form letter postcard back about oh. three or four months later. And I'm very mad because I've gone through my like treasured treasures. Yeah, and I can't, fi- I can't find it, and I'm, oh. I know, and I have so many, as you know, Carol, so many postcards and things that I have managed to save over the years, but it just, I guess, I guess one time in my life, I probably realized that it wasn't like his signature, <laughs> that it was right? like a stamp, <laughs> and I probably got rid out. of it. So yeah. But still, there is a very, 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 very slim chance that, uh, no, it didn't happen. It's okay. I really but wish I am that a I huge, could... huge fan. Oh, I really wish I could just produce it right here from my, from my files. <laughs> I stole it from you. Yeah. I mean, it's it might have happened. I'll look through the, my, my bin, but I, I don't remember that. Um, you should check your Stephen King books. I wouldn't know, be surprised. That is a great idea. Yeah. Well, let's get to this movie. We well, got to Let's talk about it. Yeah, we got to get into it. We have so much to talk about. But for anyone who has not read the book or seen this movie recently, I'm going to recap it. Who? Yeah, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let Murray Chapman handle this one. That's your childhood <laughs> nickname for Monica. <laughs> Murray, Murray Chapman. Chapman. Um, well, let me read this uh, recap real quick oh. off the Internet Movie Database. I see. Uh, internet resource for mediocre plot summaries. Okay. Andrew and Vicky McGee met while earning money as guinea pigs for an experiment at college. Hmm. You're in college? I guess so. The experiment was shrouded in suspicion and mystery and seemed to be related to psychic abilities. The two were married and had a daughter, Charlie, who has the ability to start fires by merely thinking about it, also known as pyrokinesis. Naturally, the government takes a great interest in Charlie, and operatives from the secret department known as The Shop want to quarantine and study her. The end. Um, Murray Chapman. I just don't believe this. Murray Chapman also has their email address li- listed, and it is muzzle at cs.uq.oz.au. Okay. If anybody okay. wants to contact Murray. Very good. So, yeah, that is that is really it. The, the This movie is, the first half of it is a chase movie. They're running from the shop mm-hmm. They're with some flashbacks involved. So... When we meet uh, Andy and Charlie, they are on the run and they are narrowly escaping these these uh, government Wiley agents. agents. Oh, yeah, yeah these are. government agents. Um, and we're kind of seeing Charlie's powers, what she can do. She lights someone on fire in the airport, um, and <laughs> eventually the, the the agents catch up with them at a farm. 
and we have this like shootout moment. And then from there, we're witnessing Charlie and Andy separately under surveillance at, I guess, the shop HQ, which is like Mm -hmm. this plantation. Yeah, it's a plantation, a shop in Virginia somewhere. Yeah. So we'll get into all that. But the first half of the movie, we we are flashing back to in between the chase sequences. We're flashing back to Charlie and Andy and their past together. You see the experiment happening before Charlie comes along. And then you also see when the agents find them because I guess they'd been in hiding. It's unclear why it takes so long for them to find her because Charlie is like eight mm-hmm. by this point. But um there's a lot that we see of Charlie, like finding her powers, con- trying to control her powers. Not quite sure. They don't really show the mom's powers ever, do they? No. Yeah. But we, she, we have to Do assume. we even know if she got, I mean, I think the idea is that she, they, she has superhuman parents, right? Mm-hmm. That Charlie's parents are superhuman. Therefore she is too, but we actually don't know. She may mm-hmm. have gotten the placebo. Yeah, that's true. In the experiment. Yeah. They probably get into it more in the book. Um, but I haven't read it in so long. I remember loving this book. I remember really loving it. So I wonder how it holds up. Any listeners out there who've read it recently, love to hear from you. The first thing that I want to talk about, and I think I think that the crux of what we'd love Monica to speak to is all about this idea of like anger and emotional regulation and like there's a great scene in the flashbacks of Charlie of like them testing her at the, at the breakfast table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we play that clip? Sure. Time for bed. You can try again at breakfast. Okay. I want to do that again. No, tomorrow. I'm not tired. I want to do it again. I said no. Again. No. I sorry, Mommy. I just made it. Well, you did it. You hurt your mother. I'm sorry, Mommy. It's all right. Mommy's all right. Charlie, you have got to control this thing because it's a bad thing. You understand me? A bad thing. Leave her alone. It's not her fault. Hello. hello there is so much in that scene so I'm, much so much to unpack yeah we really could do I w- that. I, normally I, w- I feel like this would be a, a, an entire episode's worth of of ups and downs a real roller coaster yeah monica do you want to kick it off yeah tell us what you're thinking well sure i love that scene so much if i had a chance to like intervene with this family i think they'd all still be alive oh. <laughs> oh, if I, only. I know that's a heavy lift but um it was just such a great representation of what happens to kids take out the whole i'm gonna catch my toast on fire um and then i'm gonna catch mom on fire <laughs> right right <laughs> that did escalate fairly quickly but it really was a great representation of kind of what happens to kids when they have a tantrum. And yeah. I thought that was a really 
interesting thing to kind of take apart because in my work, a lot of times I work with teachers who are telling me that the kids in their classroom are blowing up and exploding for no reason, Mm. that the tantrums Mm. have seemingly come out of nowhere Mm. and are really disruptive. And it's my job to help teachers really, with some careful observations, figure out exactly what is causing the challenging behaviors. And I was really excited for today to take the opportunity to talk about what a challenging behavior really looks like when you break it all down. Mm. So I want you to think about a challenging behavior like a hill, like a small hill. Um, So let's say we're going to go and start at the bottom of the hill. So let's say Woo and Boo are playing with toys, maybe some Batman toys. If you can imagine about right? If I can imagine. <laughs> we were already like, I just want to pause to say that Charlie reminded us both so much of Woo that this is yeah. the furthest thing from a stretch. We're right there with you. Go yeah. on. <laughs> so let's say Woo and Boo are playing together. And then I'm not sure who it would be, but let's say it's Boo grabs right. a toy out of Woo's hands. And then you get very quickly to the top of the hill because you've got then Wu probably using the tools in his toolbox, which might be screaming, might be crying. Boo is a a shrieker. Mm -hmm. Might be hitting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that top of the hill 90% of the time is where adults intervene. Hmm. And when adults intervene, usually our first instinct is to try and teach a lesson. So Mm -hmm. that's when you have a well-meaning adult come over and say, you need to use your words and tell me what's wrong or maybe say you need to share, mm-hmm. or maybe even just immediately separate the two, just try and make it be over as soon as right. possible. That is the typical challenging behavior arc. Yeah. And the problem with the challenging behavior arc is that if the adult's intention is to teach a new skill, they're trying to teach it when one or both kids are melting down. Right, right. So as we know, um, whether your kid's going to set something on fire um, or just slam their head into the ground or whatever they're going to do, trying to teach a new skill when that like physical dysregulation is happening is you might as well just talk to a wall because right. it's it's not going to sink in. Right. And and isn't it like when when this is all happening a lot of times parents or teachers are also at the top of the hill because maybe they're upset or they're 
they're alarmed or whatever. And and kids, if you are using a, an, a tone that isn't totally calm, then they're not going to, they are absolutely incapable of like receiving any information, right? That's like what I've. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and you know, one of the big pieces when I do social emotional trainings is helping teachers understand what their hot buttons are. Because mm. every adult, every teacher, every parent has those certain behaviors that they react more powerfully to. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for instance, for me, I know that my hot button is like physical violence. I hate watching kids like hit each other. That makes it kind of, it just makes me, it makes me feel unsafe. And so I, I just get very, I have a hard time. But like right. talking back, cursing doesn't really bother. It doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. So if a kid talks back to me, that doesn't set me on edge. But when you understand that for some people, that is their hot button, right? you can start to see how your own reactions to challenging behaviors sometimes can feed into them. Right. Mm. And especially if, you know, kids know that that is getting your attention, it's just going to, yeah, it's a cycle for sure. And it probably makes those teachers or parents who you're talking to about this probably also, it's their, their bias, right? Like the thing they're saying, this came out of nowhere. It's also like, oh, that's just like, that's what sort of triggered you. Like you, you cued into the behavior that, you know, whether it's physical violence, screaming, crying, whatever it is, that is like, your particular thing which made you then all of a sudden pay attention right exactly exactly so let's go back to our hill of our challenging behavior really the challenging behavior happened at the bottom when boo snatched the toy from Mm -hmm. woo right but a teacher or a parent coming over is now having to kind of deal with woo scream the screaming or the hitting back or whatever happened. So mm. when we think about planning interventions for challenging behavior, what we need to do is jump in before that emotional reaction, which is tri- right. which is very tricky and I don't want to come on a podcast as an expert and pretend that this is easy in any way, shape, or form. It's it's not. And it takes a lot of consistency. It takes a lot of repetition. But when you get a little bit better at this, you can start to see way before the challenging behavior. So you might even be able to see that Woo and Boo sitting next to each other and playing with the Batman car and there's only one. You as a teacher or parent might say, oh, maybe I think I'm going to bring over another really interesting thing, Mm. maybe another car. And then you're you're basically doing interventions before anything happens. Right. Or Like a precog. Yes. Or if you see the snatch happen, you can come over and talk immediately to the two of them about how you're going to problems what what you can do in the moment so obviously we don't want anybody you know snatching toys away from each other but we can talk about 
what's a more fair way to play? Mm. Um, can we take turns? Can we play something else entirely different? <laughs> right, right. Uh, can we figure out a way to make it so that we're both having fun? Mm-hmm. And when we do that, then we help the kids out by building their problem-solving skills. Right, right. And Mm. it's funny to me in this Firestarter clip because I feel like it started with them trying to help her build a skill. So I wanted, even though there's ridiculous Mm -hmm. parts of that scene, I thought, wow, like this is is actually good. They're giving her an opportunity to problem-solve. So one of the things that we can do as adults in kids' lives is just give them tons of opportunities to problem solve because it's a muscle. You get better at it. And it can be something ridiculous. Like you can say to Woo and Boo um, that you're having a problem and you need to problem solve it. Right. And a lot of times we forget to model what problem solving mm-hmm. looks like. We come in with our black and white striped shirt and our whistle and we referee everything Mm -hmm. and kids get really used to that and they start to think that they're not capable of problem solving right being the coach and not the referee I try to say it to myself all the time and it is hard that's what this scene was it was very relatable because even with like the things that we've learned the the tools that Josh and I have in our toolbox now because of you and other you know, resources that we have, it's still very hard. And it does require like a lot of practice and consistency, like you're saying, like, okay, well, you know, you feel like you're doing something really right as a parent, if you're, you know, being the cool, calm, like CEO as they are in the at the breakfast table, but then something else happens. And you're, you go back to whatever you, you know, were taught as a kid, or you're, you know, you react and, uh, it's tough. It's just tough. But it, it, it but it, yeah. it does work. It does work because then there are times where we see woo and boo if I if I can catch it like they do, you know, take a turn or they wait till somebody's done or offer the other one offer something. the other one something else, you mm-hmm. know, and and that those times are like, oh, God, I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, easier said than done is probably like the thing that should be inscribed on all like parenting advice, because it's always easy to say like, mm-hmm. yeah, be the coach, and not the referee or, you know, kind of pick your lines. But it is it, it does take all that, as you said, Monica, like the consistency and practice and the modeling. Like, mm-hmm. I think it is an interesting it made me think, too, like if you don't talk about problems as being something that can be reasoned out it's got to also be tough as a kid when you feel like out of control to think that you have the tools to solve your problem if you don't see if all you see is like a swift decision like a ref you know like oh a rule is broken the solution is this right if you just or if you just see like Rather than saying like, oh, even if you are inventing this for the situation, like I have a problem, I can't find whatever I mm-hmm. make up the hypothetical. But he uh, if you come in yeah. able to say and model 
your mental process for them. Yeah, and talking out loud the, through it. Yeah. yeah. That's such that is very, very good advice. And to like let kids in in times where there isn't this emotional heightened hill to mm. to come at it on flat ground. So true. And then at the end of uh this scene, after mom's hands are on fire. Sure. She's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> Even though we find out this is like hellfire that she has the power of. It's not regular yeah. flames. Yeah. So we find out when they experiment on her. Anyway, go on. She's fine. <laughs> She's she just shakes that off. Um yep. but then you get to see, I thought, some adult like inconsistencies right that all of a sudden she's saying you know oh it's okay and dad is like that's bad you have to do whatever you you know to stop it and um that is i think just a really honest portrayal of the confusion that happens for kids when adults aren't on the same page um about challenging behaviors there are yes I think it's even like a status thing, right? It is about control in that scene, right? There's these parents wanting to control their kids. I kept thinking like, what would a real life scenario like this be? And to me, it would be like, if like your kid is learning martial arts and then you see them flip another kid over their back or something like that. And they're like, wait, you can't do that. It's like, but wait, you make me go to lessons three times a week in order to do this thing. Like you're having me sit at the table and catch bread on fire Mm -hmm. so that because you're saying that I need to be able to like learn how to like use this responsibly. And now you're telling me it's a bad thing that I'm doing is a conflicting message. That's also like completely unfair Mm -hmm. to where they're at and kind of like what you're asking of them. Yeah. And like the emotional, like, your relationship to your emotions. I've kept thinking about this in this movie of like, there's a point I think uh, later on when he's asking her to kind of like go all out with her powers if they come after them. And she's like, will you still love me? And I felt, I felt that so hard because it is like the, it's the question that kids are always internally asking of like, is... Oh, I have that clip actually. Oh. If I do something bad, will you still love me? Oh, Charlie. Of course I'll still love you. Love you more than anything in the world, no matter what happens. I mean, he's like a ridiculous, like, mouth breathing. <laughs> he's such, he's like. He's just like the dude you went to high school with who like got a job in construction like right out of high school and just never looked back. Just crushing some Coors Light on the weekend and just... Married Heather Locklear. And married Heather Locklear. Uh, I will say, this is a good dad. This is not a bad dad. This is a good dad yes. who is dies for her. I mean, just protects her and is so like respectful most of the time, you know, it was it was great. And it didn't feel as put on as a pumpkin head dad. That guy was just dripping. Yeah. Well, and I think that <laughs> gross. <laughs> he, we, he 
because we hear early on that he might be getting like what they call like micro hemorrhages from using his psychic abilities to protect her as well. He's dying for her from Mm -hmm. like from the minute this movie starts, which is like a really. Aren't we all um, doing every just breaking down for our kids? Boy. Um, (laughs) So so speaking of the toolbox, they do they do kind of touch on that a little bit and she she kind of finds it in herself so it's it's not all lost here but they they work on it some more as the movie goes on and she is able to control her powers i know that 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 part was really powerful um Mm -hmm. as far as like watching a kid kind of discover the tools they have yeah she's able to uh cool cool it off right by like literally sending her fire starter powers into water which i always thought was really cool exactly do you want me to play that too the back off thing yeah let's do it all right back off just back off Oh, Charlie. Poor Charlie. I know. So sweet. She is doing a great job of doing even self-talk to calm herself down, Mm. which is always something that we encourage for kids to utilize. Yeah. I did share with Josh a resource that I share with teachers and kids all the time. It's one of my favorites because try as we might, like you said, Carol, like, Even if you're watching every single second, we're going to have challenging behaviors. Every single kid has them. It's, they're never, they're never going to go away. And that is just being alive, being a a typical person. We all have these emotions and feelings. We just have to learn how to self-regulate. And one of the things that we practice, I've been exposed to many different social emotional curricula that you can use in classrooms, but no matter which one you pick, almost every single one starts with identifying the feelings in your body and emotions in your body and what you're, and that like mind body connection, which mm-hmm. is what Firestarter is all about. So, right. There is an amazing resource I'd love to share. It is this song from Sesame Street, of course. They're wonderful. And the song is called Belly Breathing. And it features Common and Colby Calais and Elmo. As you would. (laughs) As you do. Shall I play it? I would love you to. Okay. Sometimes the monster that's inside you is a monster that is mad. It's a monster who is angry. It's a monster who feels bad. When your monster wants to throw things and your monster wants to shout, there's a way to calm your monster and chill your inner monster out. Look out! Belly breathe, gonna breathe right through it, belly breathe. 
And then she goes on to explain a technique for belly breathing. Oh my gosh, we're going to put a link to that in our show notes and our yeah. however we can do it. That is so wonderful. And don't you feel like, Monica, don't you feel like when you see that that stuff and you hear these things and know that it's reaching such a wide audience, don't you feel like it's just changing the world? I you mean, know, you must... You must feel that in your in your job so so often. I I really do, and I don't work directly with kids that often. I work with the teachers who are working with the children, so I always feel that even more because I watch adults make connections, which is really empowering. Because when I talk with adults about you know challenging behaviors, one of the things I always mention is, you know, how many of you, and I, I don't mean to be stereotypical, Josh, but it's usually women. It's usually like a 90-10 mm-hmm. <laughs> split. Um, but I say, how many women in this room, when they're very angry, start to cry immediately? Oh, too true. Too true. And it's because a lot of times women are socialized that anger is not okay, but... It's bad. It's very bad. You never got to do it, Charlie. <laughs> That's how... Exactly. It's Monica so goes cool. around the room shaking each teacher by the shoulders. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's so... Oh my gosh, Monica. Wow. Yeah, it's it's so true. I feel like when adults are either teaching kids or parenting kids and they're and they're reading this stuff and they're they're trying to incorporate this into their their parenting and teaching. Yes, you learn so much about your own childhood, your response that we didn't have this education at all. I mean, I've learned so much about noticing emotions and not letting them control you or just kind of having, yeah, like taking a breath or realizing like how my emotions were treated as a child. And um, if you think about this, you know, not just this current generation of young children, probably a little bit older, but that if they have those skills and if they're treated this way now, they're not going to have to be doing like the double work when they are then teaching and parenting. They're going to have that. It's just going to be, it's just, it's amazing. It it is amazing. Yeah. It's mindfulness training, right? I mean, it is so funny. I think those are things that have only been destigmatized. Like the idea of like the sort of Buddhist idea of like mindfulness meditation has only been sort of destigmatized as like a tool in everyone's toolkit. Right. In our adulthood, like mm-hmm. in the last several years, yeah. not like in our lifetime, you know, not mm-hmm. like it was like it was one of those kind of like if you, anyone's ever talking about that, it was synonymous with. With borderline culty, like crunchy mm-hmm. granola mm-hmm. hippie stuff that like that, yeah. that, but now it is a part of so many practices for just right. well being. It's obviously like a, I'm sure a, at the very least a high six seven plus figure industry just in like the app game, yeah. right? Of all the various like meditation apps and stuff like that. But that's what. That's what all this is, like is recognizing your emotions, taking that moment to... Yeah, kind of just like take a step back to notice, huh? 
That's yeah. that's interesting. Um, Monica, it should also be said that not just uh, what you do for a living, but Monica also has two boys, just like we do. And to our woo and boo, I guess they'd be Lou and Goo, uh, just to <laughs> protect their identities. Yes. But Lou and, Lou and Goo are a little bit older than our kids. We've talked about them before on the show. And they're perfect, and, and they have no social-emotional problems whatsoever. <laughs> Ever. No. No. Of course not. No. Uh, my wonderful nephews. And it's been so... Another thing I'm thankful for is that you had your kids a little bit before me. You led the way. And you also happen to have two boys. We happen to both have boys. Almost, you know, kind of the same space between them in age. So it's been not just the, the the toys that we've gotten handed down to us, the glorious, glorious uh, collection of Imaginext oh, yeah. <laughs> that we just have received, but it's also just like all the knowledge. Anyway, my point, my question was like, do you feel like since they were little, like have you noticed a change in, in, in all of this, like the, the way that, you know, even from your work, how emotions and, um, everything is, is dealt with, like, is there stuff that you wish that you knew even when they were kid, like little, little. Right. Cause you and I'm sure like your resources are changing all the time too, right? There's certainly yeah. stuff that you or, would have or, probably or, been like, Oh yeah. Was this something, when I, when did you were... already know these things? And, and now it's like, there's more space to teach this or like the programs are finally catching up with the research. Like that's a, that's a really great question. I will say that I was pleasantly surprised how many of our public schools in a region have a, made a commitment to including social emotional curricula into their broader um, curriculum approach. So, mm. in fact, one of the social emotional curricula, it's called Second Step, they have a program. It goes from pre K all the way through high school. Wow. So I was pleasantly surprised because I would go out on a limb, Carol, and say that our social emotional curriculum <laughs> growing hmm. up at school consisted of maybe like pray harder and you're all in trouble. Right. Um, <laughs> so no recess for you. No recess no for anyone. Time. Yeah. So, um, so I guess I was just so happy to see that our public schools are making a real commitment to kids from grade school all the way through high school to see how important this is. And, wow. you know, unfortunately, sometimes, you know, it's only as good as the teachers who are kind of running with it. You know, you will know when you have a teacher who's committed to mindfulness and brain breaks and things like that like it's very glaring when it's missing um but i'm 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 truly hopeful that even if it's just in a non-nominal sense that schools are adapting this type of approach yeah that is um, so heartening yeah, really. yeah I, it, re it really it really is you know i don't think anything will ever solve bullying or the other you know yeah social emotional conflicts the kids just kind of inevitably have to go through I think as part of growing up but to know that schools are tr at least trying um to make 
yeah. kids understand the connections between their emotions and how to appropriately work through disagreements is really great. Oh, that is right. really good I mean, to hear. And because no matter what, you're always going to have kids, even if it turns out that like bullying, I still see all those like kind of bullying status things, having just finished reading the book, Normal People, and kind of reliving some high school memories, mm. some of those dynamics between like you thinking that people care who you date as like a thing because people will pick on you they'll make fun of you that's still bullying right like even if that's all is it that mm-hmm. becomes some someday the only bullying kids encounter it still exists there's something developmental about that need for that age group to like start putting things in boxes i am sure but like it is an it's interesting to think about how like no matter what these kids well even if there are like actual just like violent bullies that like you're still given the tools to process your end of it because it's all you can control anyway and that's a good life lesson i think that does like still teach the right thing Mm -hmm. it's like stuff's going to happen to you but like can you control the the results you know just like whatever you're left with those residual things are so hard to manage on their own so like yeah just it's all right doesn't matter it's like a you know a tornado of another child or mm-hmm. an actual tornado that strikes your house or something, you can still like find a way to process and work through that. That's like very cool to hear. Yeah. Cause I've heard that like American schools don't always like we do all the research in America, but we don't adopt the actual practices. Um, so, so that's actually really great to hear. Speaking of things that we learn in school, There is so in like the midpoint of this movie when they have a shootout at the farm, basically. So Andy and Charlie have they've escaped enough to get to they hitch they hitchhike with this uh, old farmer and just a really sweet, sweet old guy. Oh, yeah. Salt of the earth type. Yep. And they go back to his farm and they they have like their aliases and they have this cover story and um they, Boy, he sees right through it he sees right through it and the wife um is a little uh a little nervous about these folks mm-hmm. coming to lunch turns out josh realized she, who that was she's oscar she i'm pretty sure she won an oscar for her role in as nurse ratchet in one floor of the cuckoo's nest mm. Yeah, it's crazy how I I do want to know if like if something happened to her because she has almost no speaking lines in this. This has got to only be, you know, it's less than 10 years later. Yeah. And she is really not in much else of note beyond that. And it's like such a powerful role. And yeah, the the biggest thing you get from her here is like some side eye uh, after Andy walks in the door. Yeah. Like that that's about it. I wasn't even looking at that character to be anyone. No. To, yeah. So that was that was a good eye. Good spotting, Josh. Um so But at the shootout. At the shootout, the the older farmer finally gets Andy to tell the real story and And he backs him. Yeah, he's like, you know, uh Charlie comes back from feeding the chick the chickens with um Nurse Ratchet and she's like, I feel them coming. They're they're on their way. And uh, basically the farmer like gets his gun and the, the government agents come surround them. 
they're all in suits and they march out in their suits. That's right, real G-men. Yep. And um, the farmer's like, get off my property. Andy gives Charlie the okay to like let loose and she starts lighting them up. She's lighting up guys left and right. That's right. These are military men. These yep. are trained yep. individuals. And we couldn't help but notice that no one, not not a one was stopping, dropping, nor rolling. So... We just wanted to figure out what the deal was with uh, Stop, Drop, and Roll. Yeah, and it's time to... Be cool about fire safety. If you don't want to get burned, be cool about fire safety. Oh, yeah, well, um, I found the origin of Stop, Drop, and Roll. Oh, let's hear it. And it was in the late 70s that this PSA... Oh, so plenty of time. Plenty of time. Everybody should have known to Stop, Drop, and Roll because Firestarter came out in 1984. So, and we've anyway. seen this in other movies too. Where I, I try to remember, it was something else recent. It might not have been for the podcast, but something else we were watching, where someone catches on fire, and we both had that pause of like, why is this person not stop dropping and rolling? It could be that the the PSA came out, but it just took it being taught all through the '80s in school to like really have it stick as like this cultural right thing, not cultural, but just like a, something you just know. You just know it. Yeah. Um, and I I can tell you where where I thought of it recently. Well, last year, not this Halloween, but last Halloween. Um oh my gosh. a friend of ours, her neighbor caught on fire on Halloween and um she thought that it was like a a stunt. Mm-hmm. And she told her husband, like, Oh, our our neighbor's having this Halloween party. He was having a big Halloween party at the time. Right. Like go out and see. And um, her husband goes out and sees and he's like, no, that's not a stunt. And he gets the he got the fire extinguisher and put his neighbor out. Nobody knew. Nobody knew that that he was not just like doing some sort of stunt so he he saved his life yeah he, oh, he's wow. still, was dressed, he he's was still dressed in like a the neighbor was wearing i think the costume was like a ghillie suit like yeah. that camouflage that looks like uh you know yeah. grass and, and brush just lighting like. a jack-o'-lantern using a real candle for the jack-o'-lanterns and um burst into flames burst into flames so um but we were all you know after we'd kind of processed the story and my friend is still processing it. Um, no doubt. In therapy. I can't imagine. Um, it, is that we're like, why didn't he stop, drop, and roll? Well, okay. So in the 1970s, the late 1970s, the first fire safety PSA uh, starred Dick Van Dyke rolling around on the floor as he explained the importance of rolling out flames caught on clothing to the public. So this was just a PSA with Dick Van Dyke. What a guy. I know. I had no idea that he did that. Yeah, but now, now in schools, it's not just stop and drop and roll that you have to learn. As Monica was telling me before we started recording, recording. Now, when I when you started to talk about stop, drop, and roll, I wanted to let you know that there is a new kind of, I'll say, catchphrase that is being taught in schools for um, armed intruder drills. Which are and it's catching on like wildfire, like hellfire. Yes, it is. Run, hide, fight. Oh dear. Oh my god. And so, so Josh and I just don't don't know this stuff because our kids aren't in school yet. But 
it makes sense. I, I mean, I knew that they were doing drills, but I didn't know about the catchphrase. And it makes sense. It makes sense. To yeah, like- they teach kids that if you can run and get out of the build, just to get out of the building as fast mm-hmm. as you can. Um, and so, for instance, I, I know about this because I was in a pre-K room right after it happened. So they have the pre-Kers in this school. Their drill is to run and hide in the woods in the back um, of the school. So it's run and then hide is like hiding in your classroom. So if there's a bathroom or a coat closet, just so that they can't see you, even if it's just making yourself that you can't be seen if somebody walks by. And then... The last one is fight, and they encourage kids to just fight with anything they have in the classroom, like throwing chairs, throwing desks. And when I went to this school, the teachers were really, really shaken up because I think even drill, they're finding that even drilling this stuff is traumatizing. Yeah. Um, No doubt. Oh, my gosh. Just explaining it to a pre-K class would be difficult. Yeah, they keep it very – they kept it very simple, which is they would never have the pre-Kers participate in the fight part of the Right. Yeah, if middle school – I mean, it makes sense. And you know that there's got to be a couple kids in that class that are so ready for that fight. And if you – if so if you tell them, like, this is actually what, you know – Yeah. If you can't run and you can't hide, just, like – Throw, throw a chair, throw a desk. Some Somebody could take out an, an armed intruder. It just is so interesting because I think stop, drop, and roll is so in- ingrained in our heads. And, like, I want to believe that if I ever caught on fire, I would be able to remember to do that. Yeah. Um. So same but thing you never with know. The, but you, you never, never know. You just never know what you're going to remember in the moment. Mm-hmm. If you're a government agent dealing with a kid who's has pyrokinesis, pyrokinesis. I mean, oh my you gosh. might be like just processing what's happening and not realizing you're on fire and then you're you're a goner and just a skeleton a charred skeleton on the ground okay moving on to just one other thing i want to talk about with this movie and why it was so appropriate shall we say <laughs> that we watched it um close to thanksgiving because as the credits came on, I was like, George C. Scott, George C. Scott's in this movie? What? I didn't I didn't mm-hmm. remember that. Oh, and then he comes on screen, you're like, whoa, great ponytail, George C. Scott. That's yeah. wild looking. And, and it then... turns out he's playing a Native American with a glass eye. And his name is John Rainbird, and he is using all sorts of native magical other um methods mm-hmm. to get to, to yeah why is he the only one who can get close to these two meta humans right right he, he he is beyond uh her 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 abilities to like feel things and because she is not she's not just pyrokinetic she is also very um she's like an empath empath right so but he is uh outside of it all and and he's literally in red face also like yeah. and he's like he's wearing makeup to mm-hmm. try to make him look yeah, like an indigenous na- person. Totally. And he also, as as the movie goes on and his motives are revealed, he's like wants her in a different sort of way than the government does. It's never explicitly said that he wants to like 
do anything to her. You're he, made to believe that he's a pedophile. Yeah, the, it in, really and seems that way. And then it seems as though he wants to use her as part of some ritual Where, yeah, to go to the great beyond. Right? Yeah, There's some, because he's going to, when he, he wants to kill her in the way that he does that other scientist and like take her power. Right. So whatever. Stephen King's at it again. He loves doing this. That cultural appropriation. You know, it just wasn't frowned upon as much as, as it as it is now. Um, and rightly rightly so. Now we understand that these things just aren't right. I actually found an article on The Strand that um, summed it up so well. So I'm just going to read this quote and then I'll link to the article. Um, the article is, when horror novels stray from fiction. So it's kind of talking about Stephen King and all of his... All of his um, works and how he's used other cultures and, you know, I love him so much, but it's true. He does it. We, we talked about it a lot in our very first episode in Pet Cemetery. But anyway, so the quote here is, his 1980 novel, Firestarter, follows Charlie, a young girl who has telekinetic powers and is being hunted by John Rainbird, a Cherokee hitman who is obsessed with her. He ultimately is killed while Charlie ends up telling her story to Rolling Stone magazine. King perpetuates the colonial ideology that indigenous men are dangers and threats to white femininity, thus enforcing harmful ideologies while cherry picking the aspects of indigenous culture that he likes and failing to recognize that the violent colonial history that has given him such power to be able to do so as part of the dominant culture. I thought that was really well said. Yeah, um, it's pretty tight. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and kind of like totally summarized why um, we all felt weird watching it. We all felt a little strange watching Ch George C. Scott play that character. It's just a shame because it could he could have just, well, first of all, so many shoulda, coulda, wouldas here, could have hired a Native American actor uh -huh. like uh, Wind Talkers, right? Um Right? Isn't that the Wind Talkers? Isn't that the, the Nicolas Cage, Cage movie? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so bad. It is so bad. Um, but a true story about the Code Breakers. Yeah. Um, so could have hired a Native American actor. Um, could have just changed the role in the movie to be just a person with the powers himself. You know, like that doesn't have to be rooted in this like... Because I feel like that's what Stephen King does. He right. like yeah, like cherry picks. Like, okay, I like this idea from this culture. Eh, we're not gonna we're gonna say exactly what it is, but we're just gonna like yeah make it, make it spooky. I actually had like I I'm not gonna throw we'll do like a full on sequel pitch, but like I had an idea for a sequel, mm. and it just as easily could have been used for like the John Rainbird character as like a motive. But like I was thinking, you have someone who survives uh charlie's assault mm -hmm. on the shop or a family of a survivor who mm -hmm. then is like hunting her down like as an adult like mm -hmm. later in life um it, and like that's how you continue the story you could just as easily have that be the story with john rainbird's character and maybe it's someone from the lot six experiments who lot like seven. sorry isn't it lot seven no it's lot, lot six hmm. uh lot seven would be the name of the sequel <laughs> and it will but like that he if just say like he you know even had like a girlfriend or something who was in the experiments and like you know lost her mind and this because it's hallucinogens and everything else and like he's now trying to like he sees it like as his mission then to like 
cleared the earth of them and so mm. he's working with the government to help hunt them down yeah would be like a Ooh. cool but it would still make him like sort of this uh loose cannon because you'd have he clearly doesn't like he wouldn't then be like a fan of the shop he'd be out for his own motives mm. like you could have done that and it wouldn't matter if he was Cherokee he could still been Cherokee but it wouldn't have had anything to do with like his yeah you know his ability or or the reason behind why he's he's uh, trying to do this because it's like for a magic spell. Right. I know it can be a real struggle um, to teach kids about Thanksgiving and do it through a lens that is uh, more culturally sensitive. And I just wanted to recommend a book Ooh, if you're interested it. in a children's book that is sensitive to the idea that we were we the white dominant culture were not here first uh, in america the book is called encounter by jane yolen and Mm. it is a beautiful book it is a gorgeous book filled with illustrations and takes a perspective that it's it's from a it's from a, a, a the perspective of a tribe when mm. strangers arrive on their shore, but wow. it's but it's for kids. So uh, it can be there are so many books out there that try and take a more sensitive view, but right. I really wanted to recommend that one. That one's wonderful. Thank you. That's so helpful. Yeah, because it, it it's 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 hard to do. It's. There's all this stuff right now I've been reading about like decolonizing Thanksgiving and it's like, well, how do you really do that? Like, how do you, how can you get into it and not, especially with younger kids, you know, because our school did some, you know, pilgrim native stuff and, and I'm sure they handled it fine. You know, we're not, we have no idea, (laughs) especially now we can't even like go into the classroom uh, with COVID, but, but, uh, you know, we were just like, okay, um, all right, this is, you know, they're, they're talking about it, but, um, yeah, we just need those resources of like, oh my God. And thank God there are people making children's books. Like even the Pete, the cat first Thanksgiving is like, okay, we're, we're whitewashing this. Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah it's like, I'm it's pretty, hard. So it's pretty like sure the Pete the cat authors are yeah. Christian and I do think, and white Christians at that, that like, I do think there is a bit of like, um, yeah, there's a problem when you're oversimplifying these things that are really, um, it almost seems as though the story of the first Thanksgiving just needs to go away because it doesn't really make sense. It, it, it didn't Im- happen. It, yeah, it, it's it's not accurate. It's certainly not true. So like, what? why are we, you know, you can talk about the challenges of of colonization and the challenges of being colonized and separately from the mm-hmm. story of like of gratitude for abundance right? right and and for um for just being thankful for whatever it is that you yeah. have is a very it's sad that they've been like linked in that way to really try to just oversimplify such a yeah it's such a great holiday but it needs to it needs to stop having any kind of link to the first one as they say. Yeah. Um, thank you for that recommendation. That's so great. Um, it is. While we're on it, we, we were going to do uh, some scary good stuff, right? Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk about scary good stuff. I have here a 
wind-up cat doll. Listen to that, sweetheart. Isn't that pretty? Huh? Sure you want this. It's all you... <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was a great scene. They're, like, just trying to get her to like these dolls. Uh I don't know if it, I don't think she's she like, was... here's a bunch of toys. Here's an Atari. Here's a, like, yeah. like, here's all this stuff. Like, you'll be fine. You're by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> when really they should have been giving her like access to some clothes. Cause man, she had some fashion, she, her fashion in this, in this movie. You talk about the blue leotard outfit and then the other, the red sweatshirt she has on when she's playing Atari. Oh, so good. They should have been like, here are some. Here's a wardrobe. Cool clothes. We know you like them. Um, I was thinking a playmate of some kind, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had her 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 staff friend John. That's right. Who would do things like uh, come in and tell stories about Nam <laughs> about being a POW <laughs> as a way of just you know of yeah. connecting. Yeah, that was fine. Yeah, in the eighties, like, that was totally that in the was palm normal. of her hand. After that one, yeah. Well, our scary good stuff that um, just happen again the synchronicity of firestarter and thanksgiving and everything um so we had our thanksgiving our very small thanksgiving yesterday and we uh broke out the fire pit after um after dinner and i had a surprise for everybody i had ordered um magical flames aunt monica do you know about these have you have you used them oh i think lou and goo would love them um it's basically uh, a, a packet that you are under under no circumstances supposed to open. Just a packet of God knows what, but you throw it into the fire. You It said throw one to three. So I started with three. And as they melt, they change the flames into purple, blue, teal. They're supposed to be like red and pink, but I didn't see that. Um, it was so awesome. They were super I was, cool. I was pretty sober and I was enjoying it. That's so, because you hadn't taken enough government issued LSD. I know. I that's the other part of it that you need. Um, but uh, you know, only if you're past childbearing years, you know, because um, you don't want to, you don't want to have a little Charlie on your hands. But yeah, magical flames. They were like fifteen bucks for ten. I think it, they were advertised to me on Instagram, but then I looked and found some cheaper ones on Amazon because, you know, Bezos deserves it. He deserves my money. He, he needs more. Got to help him out. Yeah. So magical flames, big hit with the kids. Highly recommend. The thing that's causing the colorant is called copper sulfate and it is poisonous. So you do have to be careful with it around littles obviously you should handle it anyway since it's going getting tossed into a yeah, fire yeah but it the burning of it is not uh yeah it's just harmful. a chemical it is just reaction. you just can't eat it yeah so and they come in like little kind of packets that could look like pop rocks so that's the uh yeah concern out keep there. them out of out of children's reach um so that was really fun and uh yeah, I guess we should read this movie. I feel like there's so much else we could talk about, but oh the God, fact yes. is we only have Aunt Monica for so long and nap time is over, so we've got to wrap it up. So let's ra- let's rate the movie. Let's rate this movie. Monica and Josh, out mm-hmm. of 12 poison darts, how many <laughs> poison darts do you give a uh, Firestarter? Monica, you can go first. 
Oh, this is a dream come true. I can't believe I'm getting to rate a Mummy and Daddy movie right now. Oh. Well, I I actually am probably going to go a little high on this because I actually think this is a very good adaptation of the book. I know we're thinking primarily about the movie, but I remember the book vividly, and I think it actually is probably one of the better Stephen King adaptations. Yeah. I know there's some things that could definitely stand to be remade, updated, but thinking about what this movie was for its time, and I I do think it's a little scary. Mm -hmm. Um, Just the idea of an uncontrollable child is enough to give any parent pause i think so i i'm probably gonna go with a nine out of 12 that's great yeah i 12 i think i might even go 10 out of 12 because it could have been i think it could have been shorter you know it could have tightened it up a little bit some of the stuff with like martin sheen and all that was just like a little boring but i loved the book and i think yeah like it was it's just such a great movie idea and they did a good job she well we'll get to her in a little bit but I love the ending you know I love a few to no survivors ending I love a big blowout and um, I have to say when she ignites the bullet that was badass I'm bulletproof nothing to lose far away far away yeah that's that on, was awesome. That's on Dieter's playlist as well. Yeah. Oh, Dieter. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, we should do a Firestarter's play- Firestarter playlist on Spotify. It was be three songs. Yep. Um, yeah, I think I would go 10. It was it was really fun to watch. And yeah, I, I feel like a remake would be so fun because it's not like this is like most popular Stephen King remake or... Um, uh, movie by far it's I don't think a lot of people have seen it so I, I was surprised I will like I'll agree it's somewhere in there it might be lower than both of you but I'll, I'll say eight out of 12 there you go That's um, pretty generous for you but yeah I I think it is one of the better Stephen King adaptations even having not read the book it's a it's a compelling story we didn't even talk about the fact that like Martin Sheen has that like great authentic reaction to like her getting oh, yeah like I her her that. powers revealing themselves like in the like like there's just some of that stuff that is like very natural and i think right on about this and i yeah like the set piece ending is huge and and mm-hmm. fun and it's just like and it also starts it also starts off really strongly you know it just keeps mm-hmm. going and I, I like anyway so yeah it's, it's a it's a cool idea prime to be remade and you could because you could make yeah. it i think there's just certain things you can make so good because there's also an element i don't know if this is in the book or not we were talking a lot about the self-talk about being able to, to be able to calm herself down um and rein her powers back in i thought she was talking to it and because of this she was with stephen king i kind of thought this is mm. hellfire right this is something this is uh right you know this is something from the beyond that she has to control mm-hmm. and that that and that idea to me or even if it was like that lines may have blurred a little bit more and you don't know if it is just a kid trying to like yeah get control of their powers or if it is something that maybe is kind of um conscious that would be mm. like either way it's like there's just some cool stuff to 
to play around right. with it are really fun. And like she has to, like she's vulnerable to it too. Right. Oh, so many good things. So cool. Such a great, such a great story. Um, yeah. And then I guess we can go on and rate the kids. Yeah. Let's see. I'm going to keep it out of 12 because I'm pretty sure that's how many subjects where there were how many vials of uh, lot six potion would you give the children in this out of 12? Then keep in mind, six of them are placebos. They're just distilled <laughs> water. We can't tell which are which. But uh, yeah, how how do you rate the child in this movie? Oh, man, I don't know. This is like queen Drew Barrymore. I mm. mean, um, completely. I feel like I'm going to give her a 10 out of 12 because that lisp alone, man. Mm. I know. It just, she is so natural. And yeah, they could have given this part to an older actress, I think. Like, you know, they could, with the adaptation, they could have switched her switched her with an older actress but i really believed that she was struggling with control with controlling the power and i feel like that would have been something an older actor actress would have played at but i loved her i'm gonna i'm gonna say 10 out of 12 okay i totally agree 10 out of 12 just because gosh i don't know i don't know why i'm not doing 12 out of 12 but she was so good, and uh, she just has a depth. She always has. She's so great. I agree. Totally 12 out of 12, though. I'm going to actually go there because she just, her whole performance reminded me so much of Wu, and I was just so taken with that. I couldn't like disassociate. I wrote the note in here that she's a reverse Benjamin Button, She meaning like she's an adult in a mm. child's body. Obviously born a child. <laughs> Not an old man. But she has so much like worldly mm. sight beyond sight, years beyond her years mm-hmm. uh in this that at at such a young age like it's it's no wonder that she was Hollywood sweetheart that drove her to drug addiction and beyond. Uh but there's it's really perfect in it. You feel all the emotions, the connection to the dad. Her trying to control this power, having it, struggling with using it for good or bad, all that stuff. So good. And so just good. like great, great performance and really makes makes it special. I think you're right. That like you couldn't have an older actor would have also confused the point. This sort of there's an X-Men piece of this, right? Like that yeah. she's she's prepubescent. Mm-hmm. And normally in X-Men, it's like the mutants get their powers at puberty. But they even say, like, imagine once she's like right. full grown, she will she could destroy the world. Right. right. This is such like, this is, you know, yeah. your Jean Grey here. And this is, there was like some, that Wolverine movie that came out with mm-hmm. the little girl. I was thinking about that a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The old man, Logan one. Yeah. Um, anyway, she's great. And Monica, you, you have a fun fact about the casting of this role. Oh yes. Again, I think that, you might have to research this to make sure this is true, but in an article I was reading in prep for this, Heather O'Rourke, who is in Poltergeist, was up for this role and lost to Drew Barrymore, which was very interesting because Drew Barrymore lost to Heather O'Rourke for her role in Poltergeist. Yeah, and it's just one of those 
amazing Hollywood tales of everything working out just the way it should, because can you imagine? I certainly can't. These roles are perfect the way they they shook out, I think. Love that. Love and, a fun and I think iconic, even though I don't know. I do think some people probably remember Drew Barrymore at this age, even if they don't remember this movie. Yeah. I think that this is like prime what people really remember about Drew Barrymore. Yeah, the E.T. days for sure. Right, but like a little passage. She was probably making all the talk show rounds. You're probably seeing Mm -hmm. her a ton at that time. Yeah, I'm sure she was just like up in everything in some to some degree. All right, so now the kids are up and crying, so we better... We better wrap it up. But I just yep. want to say thank you so much to Aunt Monica for coming on the show. Yes. This and- was so good. I, I hope that you can come back again one day. I do, too. I'm so excited. This was a Thanksgiving miracle. Oh, oh so, so agreed. I, like, yeah, seriously, don't be a creep. Get in touch. You can email mummyxdeddy at gmail.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook at mummyxdeddy. We're on Instagram at mummyxdeddypod. You can leave us a voicemail, 818-839-1991. You can also visit us on the internet for show notes and more at mummyxdeddy.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and please tell a friend. Our theme music is by Kyle Andrews. Our logo was designed by Dara Weinberg and Maggie Spaulding is Thanksgiving leftovers, baby. Bye. Again, will I be able to go to school and things again?